what is happening everybody it is your boy michael joined as always with lincoln welcome to the left hand backhand podcast uh we're coming off of a weekend tournament the lws idle wild presented by open i don't i don't know it, it's a mouthful um we don't need to say it but we got a good show lws open Oh, at okay. Idlewild, presented by Dynamic Disc and the Natty. Yeah, yeah. So, bringing bringing some extra sponsors into the sport. So that's that's cool to see. Um, but yeah, so we're gonna go a little recap of that, and then we'll do our little uh, dealers' choices. I think we're just gonna have a nice little conversation going back and forth, a few different topics to go over. Um, Talk about some discs that we've been throwing or wanting to throw or adding into our bag. Um, and then we'll do a little things that we're looking forward to for the yeah. for the upcoming week. So, which there's a lot a to lot look forward to this week. Last week. Yeah. It, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, there's a lot that happened last week. There's a lot to be looking forward to this week. Yep. Um, part, of, part of looking back at this last week, I had a two tournaments essentially uh we had idle wild we had our uh, players to watch storylines from there and then we got d glow coming up next week so it's gonna be i think mean, hopefully it's a good show we'll, i mean we say that but it's yeah. fun for us hopefully yeah. you enjoy listeners the five of you exactly perfect okay. you want to take well, us away uh, with idle wild yeah let's jump into idle wild um were you able to watch much coverage at all? Didn't watch anything live. I watched full first round, and then I watched the front nine of the final round lead card. So I didn't get to see. Oh, okay. I, I knew how it oh. ended, but yeah, you missed it, you missed a good finish though. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gannon was kind of he he gave himself enough of a cushion that he did not need to be perfect on that back nine. So I like, I know yes, after the front nine for sure. Yeah. I know Calvin made a little push. He got it to within two, but like, I think through hole five, it was, he was up by six strokes, right? Like, yeah, he, he started out, he started out like, Seven for seven, I don't know, like I think. seven, seven down through the first nine. I think he missed one in the first five, and yeah, it, I think it was like minus seven through nine. But, but uh, spoiler: Gannon Bird took it down over Calvin Heimberg. Uh, Gannon finished two strokes over Calvin Heimberg, who finished two strokes over Isaac Robinson, who finished two strokes over Paul Ulibarri and Kyle Klein, which mm-hmm. Kyle Klein was my player to watch. So yep. uh, I get props points for that. For the MPO, no props for my FPO pick, which we'll get into. Uh, in sixth place was Nico. And then seventh place, never heard of this guy, Nate Hecker. And then Matteo, Kevin Jones. And then in tenth place, we had a four-way tie with Ricky Wysocki, Ezra Robinson, Matt Bell, and Jeremy Colin. So two of the Big Sexy Barry commentary were in the top ten. Yeah. I, don't, I can't tell you the last time that's happened. I mean, there's a reason it was at this course because they don't have to throw it far. I'll just say that. <laughs> like, 
I know uh, the, no valid. <laughs> I know those guys throw way farther than us, and me in particular. Mm-hmm. But th- this was a very traditional disc golf course of hit your lines, be precise with your landing zones, and precise precise with your angle control. And those guys have a lot of experience at this course, have a lot of experience mm-hmm. throwing the frisbee. And when they don't have to throw it their absolute max power, they prove that they can compete in today's age. But they kind of just get like shuffled out or just kind of left behind when the course gets lengthened. That's all. Right. Yeah, they they score enough, but they are not uh, precise enough with less distance like they have less distance but regardless of the distance they're not precise enough to be constantly you know pushing the top 10 or whatever but still kind of fun to see um a couple other storylines your your two picks or players to watch were chris dickerson and james proctor proctor finished in 22nd and dickerson finished in 30th but there was only a two-stroke difference between proctor and dickerson and they were only, let's see, Proctor was four strokes off from top 10. So, yeah. again, with it being a three-round tournament, those ties are going to be in big chunks just yeah. based on you know one stroke difference here, one stroke difference there. Um, but the big storyline is Dan and Burr, the young gun himself, takes it down over yeah. Calvin, who's robotic, and Gannon just, he went bogey-free in the final round, which mm-hmm. was, like, at this course where there is some OB, there's not as much OB as other courses, but there's kind of natural just punishment for being off your line. Yeah. Uh, and specific landing zones, you know, tight tunnels, long, awkward angles that you have to kind of hit for a righty backhand. Uh, Gannon went pretty much mistake-free, and then he missed a, what was it, like, 30 footer on 18 uh, to shoot. I can't remember if it was like 12 down or something like that, but yeah. So he only finished 11 down on the final final round or something like that, but he, he already had the win secured and it was like one of the dirtiest of not, maybe not dirtiest, but it was a bounce back spit out. It just hit absolute perfect center of the chain, like chain height center of the pole Yeah. with a ton of pace just goes, Hits the pole, bounces right back out. Like, kind of hilarious to have that happen on your, like, winning putt. Yeah. So he had to, like, laugh it off and then tap out a, a putt yeah. for the win. Which is so. good that it, like, it didn't affect the outcome. Because you hate to see spit yeah, outs, especially in, like, heated moments or, like, high high intensity. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. He, he ran away with it and held off the robot but Mm -hmm. calvin made a push at the end he eagled hole 15 or 16 and put it to like a two-stroke difference i want to say and then he parred and gannon birdied and then that just it was just over at that point yeah um there's a couple of the storylines i want to get into but we'll quickly touch over fpo uh valerie mandano took it down yeah pretty convincingly 
she kind of cruised in that final nine. I was watching their final round. Um, she just kind of put it on cruise control because she had it in the bag. Uh, she won by six strokes over your FPO pick, Owens Goggins. So props to you for your pick there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holland Hanley finished in third. And then Missy Gannon, Matt, Madison Walker finished in fourth at even par. Uh, and then a three-way tie for sixth, a three-way tie for ninth. And they were all significantly over par at sixth place and beyond. So yeah. uh, definitely not the uh, – um, they didn't shred the course the way that the MPO did, which I have some thoughts on that after watching FPO. Yeah. Uh, but before we jump into that storyline, did you hear about or did you watch any of round two with the uh, weather delays and the light shortage? No. No. Oh, okay. Elaborate. So yeah. there was a there's a significant lightning storm Thursday late morning or something like that. I don't know. It was earlier in the day, so the FPO had to suspend play and come back out and finish their round, which therefore pushed all of MPO's rounds back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, whatever. They figured they could probably still potentially fit it in, but that course, because there's a few tricky holes, there tend to be a few backups on some of like the par fours over water and, uh, you know, with just like the tight OB lines and whatnot. So the final card did not start their round until like 6.15 or something like that. And they only finished their round at about 8.45? No, that, that sounds wrong. But anyways, German was talking about on coverage. They started late, and the last like four holes of their round, you could barely see anything. Actually, hole 17, they completely didn't even get it on coverage because it was too dark. 18, you couldn't hardly see anything. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, wrestler, former from Prodigy, now is on Discmania. Um, oh, I know. Why can I? Gavin Babcock. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he had he had a color glow MD3 that he uh, charged up on 18, so he could actually see his disc flying, That's which awesome. is just like comical to me. Um, and I was like, why, why would they not just like have them like finish it in the morning? But apparently because the group before them finished a couple or like they finished 18 when the final card finished 16. So yeah. there's a little bit of a gap between them there. Uh, that final card made the collective decision together to finish out the round, nice. which I had never heard of. Yeah. So they're like, we don't want to have to finish this round in the morning. Let's just go finish our round. Like we played this course enough. We know it. In the, we know it in the dark, literally. That's, that's cool. So we should finish out. So, anyways, it was just kind of a um, a significant storyline because there were some missed putts, some uh, little branches that were hanging down that like players couldn't see because it was just too dark. Yeah. And I think it, it cost. Isaac Robinson, particularly, like four strokes for mm. those final eight holes. Yeah, so which is it, you'll have to go back and watch it. Yeah, and it, it's tough because like when you have the other weather delays, the lightning delays, 
they pull people off for safety. You right. clear them out. You need to, like, it's for the player's safety. Um, obviously, you have some people, oh, lightning, but there's there's not even rain over us. It, did it happen in Des Moines, mm-hmm. right? Or something like that. Like, right. oh, there's lightning, but it, it's still blue sky. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's for your safety. Playing in the dark. Right. That's a hard one because I'm the kind that I would want to just I would want to push through and just finish it because especially if you would have to go to bed that night at like whatever time and then wake up. Thankfully, though, early. Um, the, the thing though is, here's my they could have teed off because the first what's the first FPO tea time seven thirty. 7.30? Yeah, probably. So they how would have long? had to tee off at like 7. No, I don't think so. Because how long does it take to get them to hole 16? That's, yeah, that's true. Dude. You know, like, the, I don't know if that was relayed to them, but it's like, you could have waited. You you could, you could you wouldn't have to even tee off till 9 o'clock. Play your mm-hmm. four holes, and then you stick around for the rest of the yeah, day. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, so, I, I, yeah. It, yeah, there were potential um, ways to go around it, but they decided as a card, since it was just the four of them, that they wanted to finish up. So they did. Yeah. And yeah. I think it cost a couple of them some strokes, but in the end, Dan still won. So yeah, for sure. That was kind of an interesting story. And I hadn't seen the uh, like a group choose to finish out like literally in the dark. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Especially on a wooded course like that. If you were playing like Jonesboro or uh, even like Deeglow, like those courses are less covered by trees. Like there's still yes. like woods around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not throwing in heavily wooded, darker areas. Yeah, you don't need like <laughs> that made it even trees. Yeah. Darker and harder to see. Yeah, but for sure, it's interesting. Um, okay, so a couple of things I wanted to point out on FPO real quick. I was I watched the final round, and shout out to my friend, I'll call her Erica Sinchcomb, because mm-hmm. we met at, at uh, the Dune Drop and hung out, and she's super cool, and we've messaged a few times on on social media, just kind of, you know, casual comments on each other's posts and stuff, so yeah. um, I would consider her a friend now, which is kind of fun, yeah. um, but her and Madison Walker do the coverage for Jomez. In listening to them talk through and commentate on the, the round, they were talking about how they're like, yeah, this whole just, it just doesn't make sense. Like they need to change it for the FPO and it, it's just too hard and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? Like that hole doesn't seem that hard. Like, I was, I, don't know, I was kind of confused and taken back. Yeah. So I was looking at like the, their average score for it. And then, you know, when you see the final results, it kind of makes sense, but yeah. their average score was, significantly higher on compared to MPO and their T was shorter. So like the hole itself was shorter and their scoring separation was even higher. And I was just surprised at like the lines that were being missed, the the 20 footers that just seem routine for MPO that were just being like almost airballed a couple mm-hmm. times by not Val because Val was on fire and she just has the clutch gene. But yeah. some of those lower tier players, uh, and I was just curious 
your, if you had any thoughts on following any of the FPO coverage and why there seems to be such a, a significant change between like, just like putting and just like scoring separation, like on a shorter course like that too, there just seemed to be way like the, the average score per hole was just way higher for FPO. Yeah. Um, I think I'm there might totally, not be an answer, but the, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to just kind of go with my gut and just like what I visually see when I watch the FPO players play. Um, throwing further and far is doesn't come as easily to them as MPO players kind of like just mm-hmm. a fact um so yeah. where so a F- shorter course like this I would have thought you know maybe that you you would think, higher... yes um what the shorter course does is it makes MPO players get to throw instead of drivers they get to throw slow fairways even some mid-ranges on almost if they wanted to they could probably throw mid-rangers on 90 percent of the holes out there and score considerably well right um with a mid-range with a slow fairway what you get is more control less deviation um more like pure line kicks aren't as bad yes more pure lines and it's easier like to control for the fpo yes they're not having to throw 400 450 max shots but the 350 to 400 foot range still has to be just as accurate and straight as the mpo's throws like when you have trees in the middle of the fairway you don't have a big gap to hit. Like you have to be very precise. You have to be control the flight of your disc from through the entirety of its flight, not just out of your hands and then hoping it lands where it, where you want it to be. Like you have to be, you have to control the full flight when you're going through woods, as opposed to start starting line angle and then you just let the disc do its work and fly and finish. Um, yeah. So that's the thing is like they're still having to throw faster speed discs through tight tunnels. Um, and then just putting, I don't know what it is, but the MPO, obviously it's a lot of just the, the top players, but they make 45-foot putts look like they're 20 foot putts so easy and fpo players are looking like ma2 ma1 me out there where it's literally a coin flip from 20 feet out if it's going to go in or not whereas mpo is 50 percent from circle two yeah like, no that would... that's that's what's going to be i have so, a I have a new theory on that. Let's hear it. I think that taller people have a significant advantage in putting. I can see that. Because a nose up putt at the basket has a higher chance of like, for our audio listeners, I'm kind of describing with my hands. If the disc comes into the basket with the nose up, you have a higher chance 
of it either, you know, lifting in a headwind or hitting chains up and falling back off. Or, you know, if you're hitting weak side, you're going to bounce off of that for sure. Even if you're hitting strong side, there's a chance that you bounce off of that. Whereas if your nose is down on your putt and you're coming into the basket, you have a much higher chance of the cage catching you on a potential bounce off than you do on a nose up putt. And I realized that this weekend, because uh, all my putts were nose up and I was, I struggled putting in the, in our doubles tournament and Mike is six, six and he puts nose down and he just had a much higher percentage putt that wasn't affected as much by the wind compared to mine, which, you know, was getting lifted by the headwinds and mm-hmm. all, all these different things. And I was like, man, just, just be looking down at the basket or, you know, eye level with the basket. I have way more confidence rather than having to potentially be looking a little bit up. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Um, do you agree? Disagree? What do you think? I disagree only because mm-hmm. uh, Joel Freeman did a video on this exact thing. He mm. it's on it's on YouTube. He was talking about going through a putting change and he like he's pretty scientific or like he's like have you seen his like in the bags of how he makes yeah, his displays very analytical. Very analytical. Um I obviously I don't think he has like a deep science degree and I don't think baskets have that much like scientific research around them but go watch it um because he says almost the exact opposite of like the well for him he wants a more nose up to neutral putt than a nose down um but that that's just the angle of the putt i i agree with a taller person having an advantage to like being better at putting because I think of like basketball the way that the ball has to go into the hoop is in an arc shape obviously a putt is a little bit more straight but like it's up and down similar it's up and down and if you have to make your arc like if you are four foot tall no one's that tall playing disc golf on the pro tour but the height that you have to arc it up to get it back into the basket is more severe than someone who is seven feet tall kind of just looking like when you they they raise their hands they are above the basket already and it's like just the angle of your eyes looking at it they're visually looking into the bottom of the cage whereas other people are looking cage level and almost at the bottom of the chains so i think just visually like it's easier to see a disc going down into the cage than having to rely on the chains to stop you and drop you in but yeah no just uh it makes me rethink my putt because i realized how nose up my putt is and Mm -hmm. how reliant on spin I am. So if I'm not getting the exact spin I need on every putt, so I'm like kind of wanting to do a little bit more up and down, a little nose down. I don't know. I'm just going to kind of reevaluate, do some practice putting this week. But uh, uh, that's 
somewhat decent transition to my last weekend, if we want to move to that, unless you have something else on Idlewild you want to go over? No, let's talk about it. Yeah. Okay. So I played uh, two tournaments this weekend, both one-day, two-round tournaments. Uh, I played a doubles round. The second tournament was a doubles tournament, and I played with my uh, Micah, who we had on the podcast. And neither of us could putt. It was, it was significantly more windy and a bit, not stormy, but like swirling wind. So it wasn't ever consistent. And uh, we struggled. We shot minus nine, minus nine and, and got third place. And neither of us were like, man, we are playing like doo-doo right now. <laughs> like, it was just yeah. not our best efforts. Um, but it was still fun. Uh, you know, we were on lead card or whatever, you know, and uh, we made our money back. So it was all nice. good. Nice. Free disc golf is um, always but good. Then, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then the day before uh, was, I played an MA1 tournament, same course, Prickle Pines, uh, and round is a shotgun start. Started on hole three. I started out with a double bogey. And then I also could not putt. I missed six circle one putts and not close circle one putts. I only missed one that was like 15 yeah. feet. Like C1A. Um, and that was, just out of, that was just out of frustration. But I missed yeah. like 25 to 33 footers. I missed six in the first round, which is very frustrating. And I just was like, I don't know. I couldn't find a rhythm. Kind of just like overthinking it. Right. And I texted you after the round. I was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to try not to think about it and just play the next round. Um, so I started out with the double bogey, worked my way back, and was minus three going into the last hole, missed the Mando, and uh, double bogeyed the second hole, which was my last hole for that round. So I had two doubles, no bogeys, and finished minus one. Nice. Not great. Yeah. Uh, and then second round, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to try to fix the mistakes that I made, you know, just like, I'm going to commit to the correction, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I'm, I missed a couple shots like early out of my hand and it's like, you know what, I'm just going to commit to it. I'm going to push it further wide or, or whatever it was. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still missed three circle one putts but they were like long circle one putts and it was actually a bit windy. Like we had a, a little bit of rain come through, um, kind of felt nice. So not going to lie. Cause it was a hot morning round. Yeah. Uh, but I, I ended up shooting minus nine, the second round, which was ten twenty rated. And I took down the win. Yeah. That's awesome. So, Wasn't it, was it hot round uh, for MPO, like for the whole tournament? Was it not or no? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so if I I would have played MPO, so I finished minus 10 in total. If I would have played MPO, I would have won by two strokes. Yeah. Um, And that minus nine was the hot round for both both rounds, all divisions. Yeah. Which was kind of fun. Yeah. It's cool to see that, like, I got it. That that correction actually, like, work. Um, That's one thing I love Mm -hmm. about, like, when you have two rounds at one course you kind of can get that redemption factor right away instead yeah. of like oh man i left so many out there now i have to go think about this course now and change a bunch of things like 
So that I yeah. do, I do and it makes me like repeating a course for a tournament. Maybe yeah, not four, definitely not four days, but three rounds. I think it's totally fine. And then if you have two two, well, I for, like exactly. That's why I like Ledgestone because you get that two and two, and then you can, you know, it shows more consistency rather than just like a oh this person got hot in this one round or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. For sure. One thing that I did, and I can't remember where I heard this. I can't remember if it was a podcast or if it was talking to someone. Uh, but they they said playing their MPO or their pro. I can't. I literally can't remember where. But they said playing the same course twice. So say like you go through your first round, you birdie, you know, a third of the holes, and then second round you say, okay, I'm just going to do the exact same thing on those holes that I birdied, they said that a lot of times they will change up their play on the holes that they birdied. And not like a drastic change, but yeah. like they don't want to go in with the expectation that, oh, I have to do the exact same thing the exact same way because conditions are different, pressure yep. is different, your you know confidence level is different going to the hole. Mm-hmm. So like instead of going, uh, you know, say Firebird on, you know, hole five, which you birdied in round one, they would change it to a Thunderbird yeah. on hole or round two on the same hole and just, you know, a little bit of a tighter line rather than yeah. being as wider, you know, some, something like that. So they said that they will make a minor change to just keep it fresh. Yeah. And they said that that's how they found success. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. So that's something that moving into tournaments in the future that I'm actually going to try to apply. Yeah. I like that. It, it What it does is it, when you get stuck on the same disc, same hole every single time, you stop to think of the conditions surrounding the shot at hand. Whereas if you go in with that fresh mentality, you are more dialed, more concentrated, and more ready to execute the shot with the disc that you have. Yes. So. Yep, that's exactly it. And then it makes you, you know, just refocus and dial in on that new quote-unquote shot yeah okay and so we want to move on to the dealer's choice today perfect um do you want to do yours or do we want to save that for next week you think um so i'll spoil it now to the listeners uh my dealer's choice is kind of more of a discussion about par in disc golf. Uh, there's been discussion at Ledgestone and now at Idlewild, a couple of the holes, whether or not they should be, the par should change, if the par is too easy, you know, stuff like that. Um, however, just based on our, how long we went on talking about Idlewild and whatnot, um, I think we should save mine for next week, especially after we look at Glow and seeing if any of those pars kind of add to that discussion. So uh, listeners, yeah. keep in mind the concept of disc golf par, and uh, I think we'll visit that next week after D-Glow and see if, if uh, that adds to um, our discussion at all. Does that I make think, sense? Yeah, I think it's going to be perfect to come after D-Glow because the infamous 18 down happened, and what did they do sure. the, next, the next year is change some of the pars on the holes. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think that, that point. 
that goes to show you kind of pars are relative relative for sure um so i wanted to have a conversation for my dealer's choice um a lot of the pros were complaining about the Idlewild T-pads. I saw video footage of Aaron Gossage wearing a sock on the outside of his shoe to provide him more grip. Yep. Yep. What? Yeah. Brody says he swears by it, that it works. Wearing a sock. You know how you've seen people put a put a towel down right yeah put a towel down it's like the same thing that's just so weird like do yeah. they only put it on for the t-pad I, I i don't know i don't i don't know the answer i don't know i just that's i remember funny. seeing them i remember brody bringing it up um huh. and i've always thought about different surfaces for t-pads um yeah i just want to have a nice discussion about t-pads and disc golf yeah um well this we actually talked about this a lot during um, my tournament on Saturday because Prickly Pines has turf tee pads that are, and the turf is on top of dirt. Yes. So if it gets wet, the turf is horrible, but also because it's not on top of concrete, the turf is like subject to, uh, you know, like dirt getting on top of it from erosion or, yep. you know, those areas. So, we, we had some discussions on that just on my cards. Uh, um, and then also at uh, the Budweiser, Anheuser. Yep. They have turf. Course. That was called. Yeah. Um, they have turf on top of concrete. Mm-hmm. And Micah was saying that part of the reason they moved 303 and did not do it at the Budweiser course again was because too many of the like one guy tore his ACL on like slipping on one yeah. of the T pads there, yeah. and and a bunch of the pros said we're not gonna play on that like it's not I'm not risking my season yeah and you know thousands of dollars in surgery over a smaller A tier in Colorado that's on mediocre course not mediocre a good but not great course. Yeah. It's not it's uh, not worth the injury to go all exactly. the way out there. Yeah. Yes. Or the, the op- yeah. Yeah, so um so that's something we talked about a lot this week. I'm curious where yeah. you want where you're wanting to take this conversation. Um well, I'll even back that up. So everyone says, "Oh, I love turf. I think it's great." blah blah blah. I think it is a viable option cuz I I do think it resembles grass to a pretty close like it 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 looks it feels kind of like a fairway um coming from professional soccer the number one complaint yeah. <laughs> of soccer the number one complaint of high level soccer players is i don't like playing on turf because it is proven to cause more acl injuries the reason for that is when also uh, the N- the NFL just said that this last year, tons of players have yep. almost boycotted. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. the NFL is right with you. And it's like because when a foot gets planted in the turf, the way that it is constructed, and if it if your body pivots, 
the foot does not slide with it like it does in grass. Yes. So like you, when you plant your foot and I, I could, I could just see it in my head right now. A disc golfer runs up, they're all coiled up, plants that foot down and then their upper body turns. And normally that foot slides out on concrete. It, it won't. If you have deep enough tread on your shoe and guess what? Your body's going one way, your knees facing the other, your ACL is gone. So like, I totally see that. I totally see it. Um, you hate to see it. Um, cause turf isn't bad. It, it's plastic. It withstands lots of use on it. Um, when it is done right, what's the Island hole at prickly? Is it 11, 12, 11. eight? Yeah. 11. It's a, it's downhill there. It, the whole thing has been eroded out from underneath it. It is uneven. It is not flat. So I, you have to I go do stand it. still because yeah. I don't, I don't want to do a run up. Oh no. Hole. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't like that. The first thing I would do, well, not do, I think tour level courses need to have a standard T pad size. Size? Size. Dimension. Interesting. Obviously, like, I think of places like MVP, where you're in the woods, like, it might not be, like, totally viable, but I just, like, the bigger, the better, and it, there should at least be a minimum, you know? I think... Yes, I agree with that statement. I don't yes. know if there should be a standard size, but there should be a minimum size. Like, if yes. you want to have a bigger tee bag, go ahead. Have a bigger yeah, yeah. Bag. James Conrad will thank you. Doesn't yeah. matter. But yeah. like, yeah, I think I think of whole like one at Emporia Country Club, like that thing's an actual runway, and it makes sense for a a, a thousand foot hole. No, it's it's not. It's narrow, but it's long, right? It's long, but it's narrow, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. you're yeah. you're sliding off. Or like yeah. almost having this. you have to think about your run up way more on those things. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Um, but my surfaces, I concrete is the cheapest and works. But the two, I think I just have two. Turf was one of my options, so that was my third. My two things that I have like thought of are the rubber track material. And the painted sandpaper surface of a tennis court. Okay. Uh, a couple quick rebuttals to, or maybe not rebuttals, but points to consider. Uh, they don't play tennis when it rains. They don't. But I think... And that's because of the, the surface area and the ball getting heavier. I think but it's the, the I think it's more is, the ball. Then it gets way slidey though. It is slidey. Um my rebuttal to that is the grit that they would add to the paint, like the layer of paint, you could add more. Like it's it's literally like just a sandpaper, the grit that they put on there, like they put little okay. sand in it instead of okay. fine sand. 80 grit put some pebbles and shards of dirt make it yeah. 120 grit 
type of thing. Like you okay. can make it yeah. more gritty. Okay. Um, I, I can get behind that then. Yeah. Um, I, I have thrown off of like track and I actually don't like it as much. Yeah. Uh, where I, where I practice and do field work is at our high school or like a local high school right next to our house. And it is, there's grass, grass field, some baskets over there. And then there's a the football field, which I like to throw on to know my distances a little bit. But then mm -hmm. I, for a time, was throwing on the track because I was like, oh, you know, this is like better, better grip than the turf. And it's almost too grippy. I can see to that. To kind of what you were, what you were saying earlier, like your foot plants one way, your body turns and your foot doesn't pivot in the same way. And so I stopped throwing on it because it actually really hurt. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it's like you almost need halfway between the tennis court and the track, which is such a weird like yeah. thought space to get behind. Um, a question I want to throw out there is what do you think the like difference would be for the pro level in asphalt versus concrete? Do you think there's much of a difference? I mean, I think asphalt just has more of the big chunks of dirt in it no or am i just completely or am i completely uh, I, off with that i guess I, I think of asphalt as like more like the black um yeah like on a road like almost tar not quite tar but like you know what i'm saying like yeah 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 I could um completely wrong now i'm now i'm gonna look it up while you talk but yeah <laughs> um another one that i was thinking so a long time ago there was a type of turf called astroturf which is a lot small, like it's not long. It's literally just a green colored carpet. Um, it's that type of thickness. Um, what I am thinking of for tee pads is just the ease of like adding it to tour courses. The paint that you would add for tennis, it, it's literally, you could get a bucket and some sand and you just paint it on there sprinkle some sand and let it dry and it's good to go it's not something that you have to dig holes put like barriers in to add it like you can put it onto sure. any existing tee pad and it'll make it better um and i think that's also the same thing for tur uh for the track rubber track and i have been on yeah. some tracks that are like that are a thick, spongy, grippy. And then I've also been on ones that are like lower cut and flatter. So there's always variability in, in surfaces, but I think there's something better yeah. out there than what everyone is using. So I think just looking quick Google search, looking at pictures, um, I definitely prefer throwing an asphalt over concrete. Uh, concrete ha is way more susceptible to breakage. It is more smooth. So like dust and dirt yeah. make it a little bit more slidey. Whereas asphalt, I think asphalt's probably the, if like we were to just like rank these best options, I think asphalt could easily be top one or two options mm -hmm. out there. I think the, 
biggest reason it's not is because it costs more. Yeah. And if it already costs a lot to put in courses and they're very cost sensitive because they don't have a lot of, you know, cash flow. Yeah. Uh, asphalt is petroleum based and concrete is water based work uh, from cement. So you can just go grab a bag of cement and yeah, make your yeah. concrete concrete tea pad whereas asphalt you have to have like the proper tools and you think yeah. about how long it takes for somebody to fix a road or a pothole in a road that's usually asphalt it's covering like those potholes and stuff yeah. and it takes them like four months to cover one pothole so what is what are expos tea pads asphalt or sorry concrete yeah because like those ones I, d- I don't see many cracks in them other than the one or two that are like on a hill and this thing goes through snow flood and i don't want to say blistering hot because obviously someone from arizona is going to say oh it's not that Mm -hmm. hot there like it gets heat but it's a dry heat it's like so it gets hot and it gets pretty severe cold and they're not cracking i think they're really great they're plenty of grippy um I do think well, asphalt I, would be I, better. But... I think they're, yeah, I think they're fine. But like I, especially on some that are like surrounded by dirt, like they're very slippy. Yeah. If they're, you know, covered in dirt and aren't swept off regularly or whatever, you know. So, yeah, uh, yeah it, it is an interesting uh, something to pay attention to moving forward as they build new courses. What are they going to put in? I'm curious to think. I'm I'm not going to pay attention to it when I look at these tournaments. Uh, like thinking of the the highest ranked course in Missouri. Um, what's that course called? Eagles Crossing. Yeah, I'm curious. Like what they have there, probably cement because that's most cost yeah. efficient. Yeah. Um, but one one of the things with the uh, the Budweiser course is that they have concrete tops and then they have turf on top of it yeah which works because then you can replace the turf but the reason it's so slippy is because the turf doesn't have any actual turf beads it doesn't have any of the rubber beads in it and that's part of what makes the actual turf like grippy rather than just like the slick yeah uh i don't even know what you call plastic plastic grass sitting there yeah exactly Yeah. yeah so that's why it's like but anyways i like that discussion though i think it's it's um, one that will potentially be more um what i'm looking for just not centralized but uh standardized yeah. across the pro tour as we move forward yeah. over i think it's, it, it's for pros. the players safety more than anything yeah. and it's like they don't want they shouldn't have to worry about slipping on a tee pad and winning a tournament like the surface that you play on should be uniform safe and standardized for sure yeah yeah if you had to build your own course right now what would you put in for your tee pads i think i would do i would just do concrete and then I, i would do the tennis paint the, the, I would, the, the I tennis would surface. Like to play that. I like. Yeah, I think that would work well. I I go there. And it's sick. like you can have. Also, sh- you can make it look good too. 
yes, you can make it, you can add different designs in it. You can have different colors. Like concrete is just like the same color, but it's like you can, you, it's paint. So you can add whatever you need to on there. And it's like, I yeah. when I go play pickleball, it's like I have shoes that are like a basketball shoe and they yeah. get grip on it. And if I go with my Adidas Terex that have high tread, guess what? They're going to have tread on it. So it's like the Calvin Heinbergs. You don't have to worry about slipping. Mm. People that wear Vans, you don't have to worry about slipping. The people that wear high top Gore-Tex shoes in the middle of summer, they're all going to get a very similar traction level regardless of like the shoe that they are wearing. No, I agree. Well, I think we uh we we beat that that horse yeah. down. Yeah. So. You want to talk about some holes in your disc golf bag? Yeah. Um, I wanted to kind of point out a couple things in my bag. Um, for my tournament, I had a zone in my bag, and I had an FD three, which I used the FD three a ton when it got windy. So that was the FD three fits in between the. Uh, chupacabra and the mad cat mad cat's not stable enough chupacabra is too stable yeah um <laughs> and then the zone is just more stable than the copperhead and i don't have a walker but i don't need a walker um yeah but anyways so, so i took out all the non-lone star or yeah i took out all the non-lone star out of my bag except for my links so i'm putting with links i got the copperhead Got the inner core understable throwing putter. I got my two dunes, my understable or my my neutral, and then my uh, overstable dune. Mm -hmm. I have one mockingbird, two mad cats, two curls, a neutral one and an overstable one, which are backhands. And then I have a warbird. I just have one warbird right now. which is very overstable forehand or forehand flex shots to get it straighter. And then I have this new Harrier that I picked up, which I'm really excited to put some more work into this thing. One, it's really pretty. It's a Charlie Harrier. Yeah. Um, but two, my first throw with it was over 400 feet. And for me, that's a bomb. So I'm excited to get a little more work in with this disc. Um, and then I also, I forgot, I do still have a uh, Swirly S-Line Cloud Breaker for my, uh, the same way my curls, I have one that's like neutral and then one that's overstable. That's how uh, the Warbird and the Cloud Breaker are for me. The Cloud Breaker is more neutral and the Warbird's more overstable. Mm-hmm. So as I beat in the Warbird and it becomes straighter, then I can add new Warbird in. I don't need the Cloud Breaker, right? Yeah. Um, but just like, with that being what's in my bag, I have space in my bag for more discs. For sure. And I feel like there's holes. So just presenting what I've said to you with my bag, what, where, where what do I need? <laughs> um, how, let's, let's start from the distance drivers and work our way down. I feel like that's, that's easy-ish. Um, sure. I don't think you're missing much in your distance drivers with your Harrier being, is it, is it understable after, after your first throw? Is it less stable than your curls? Yes. 
it's a negative three two. It's the yeah. flight numbers, and I threw it on a slight hyzer, like pretty flat, but like a little hyzer, and it flipped up quickly, and then just started turning the whole way with enough integrity to fade out, so it wasn't turning and yeah. burning. Yeah. Um, and granted, I was in a little bit of a tailwind. Yeah. So I guess we'll see as I as I throw it more. Um, but it's definitely less stable than my neutral curl. So like I've got the understable, stable, overstable in those three discs for my backhand. I don't yes. like the feel of any of them for forehand though. Okay, but you, with your forehand, you you need that little bit more stability from like the Cloudbreaker and the Warbird. Warbird is still probably too stable, um, but like I don't think if you threw a curl, you wouldn't be getting max distance on it like i think you'd, you'd get forehand? yeah i think like you'd get too much turn possibly i truthfully don't like the feel of the curl it's too, too shallow Just, too shallow um i i can't even remember now because it's been a while it, it wasn't too shallow it's deeper than the mad cat um it just i didn't like the the my release out of the hand yeah. I'll, I'm going to work on it, but anyways, I, I feel pretty good about my distance drivers, I think. Now that I've got that Harrier, I feel like that kind of covered a shot that I was missing, that max distance bomber mm -hmm. uh, that I could throw on, you know, big annies and get, you know, bigger flex lines or hides yeah. or flip to straight or hides or flip to turn depending on the wind and blah, blah, blah. So I feel like that, I feel like my distance drivers are pretty okay. It's just my fairways. I feel like I've missed. My fairways and my putters, it's like I'm missing. Have you thrown a, bayon a bayonet, the driver? Not yet. So that's one I would, I think, could replace your Cloudbreaker. Um, okay. It's it's a negative 2-2. Two, two. I have one. I think it's one of the newer runs. Not the newest, but newer. And it's plenty of stable. Like, it's not, it's not a negative 2-2. Two, two. It's a... It's like a negative. It's like a negative one three, to be honest. Like it's actually a negative one three. Where's the warbirds? Like a zero three. Zero three zero three five. Yeah, like zero four. The, <laughs> yeah, the way that the the bayonet works is like you when you throw it on a turn angle, like giving it the turn, it will go that way, but it'll always stable fight and like finish with some skip and like a lot of integrity and speed at the, at the fade. Um, but you can get a turning yeah. flight out of it. So it's like, it, it, it can handle a, a good amount of torque for sure. So I think you should check one of those out. Yeah. I, I need to, I need to pick up an alpha one, but every time I've gone to a disc golf shop, they haven't had one actually. I know there it's weird. Um, fairways, you have the Chupacabra mad cat, and then I don't Mockingbird? bag the Chupacabra. Yeah, but you have one. You have so, one. You have one. So a tournament, yeah. Yeah. And then I have uh two lariats, two mad cats, mm. and a mockingbird. Oh, you know what I I just realized what I am missing. I ever since I lost my Guadalupe, I'm yeah. missing that less stable uh, and I actually really like the Guadalupe. It feels a little weird, but I yeah. I don't know. I have a fascination with it um 
But yeah, so right now I'm only bagging two Mad Cats and a Mockingbird. And the Lariat. Nope, not bagging the Lariat. Oh. You're just naming the ones that you had? Yes. Um, I'm only bagging Mockingbird and two Mad Cats. And I took out the Lariat because I was finding myself not being committed to the shot because I was mm-hmm. questionable like if I should go to the Mockingbird or pursue the Lariat and I was just like eh, I'm not sure yeah which I should do um and so I was like you know what? I'm just gonna just try to work the Mockingbird a little bit more and so I took it out but I also just don't like to feel the Lariat as much as I thought yeah. I did initially and so I took it out yeah I'm finding that same thing so I have two Mockingbird I've no, I have one Mockingbird and two Mad Cats. But there's a big gap in the middle. There's a big gap in the middle. Yeah. So what, what I'm missing is a, a Frio, Brazos. I'm missing the Brazos and like Lariat. Like those three are kind of in between what the Mad Cat does and the Mockingbird. And for me, there's just a huge gap of like what my Brazos could do and do. I didn't really. Did you lose your Brazos? Nope, I have it. It's just, it's too similar to the Mad Cat now. Or just, it's it's too similar. It is beating in slightly, it is straighter. Yeah. But the hand feel was, hand feel is shallow which is just like hard to do. And it was just too close to being stable enough to be the like, is too similar to the Mad Cat, essentially. It's just like going shorter distance, yeah. which is like, it's nice to have discs that go different distance, but um, I needed something that was more workable and I could give it a lot more angles and it would hold that flight for its entirety. Um so I have explorers back in the back. So for me, the mockingbird flies like what I think your explorers fly like. Because my Probably. mockingbird is not yeah. under understable. If I give it Anheuser, it's going to turn. Yeah. But it's not. It's not understable that if I throw it flat, it's going to turn the whole way and then fade. Like now that it's beat in a little bit, it is less stable. But like if I give it Heiser, it's going to Heiser the whole way. I agree. I don't think the Mockingbird is as understable as advertised. But what I like, what I can't do with it is throw it hard and flat and have it go straight. And that's what I want to be able to do with a disc is there's, it's not often, but there is tunnel shots straight shots you need to throw that you can't like i don't want to try with the mockingbird to get it to fly straight i have to be very particular in reading and releasing it on the correct angle whereas if i just get the right stability of a disc and just throw it hard flat straight it's going to go straight for its entirety whereas the mad cat is going to fade out too much brazos going to go short and fade out too much and the mockingbird would flip up and just get a little bit more turn than I'm wanting. Um, it's a perfect, like, I can get it 
to Heiser flip and go straight. Um, I can throw it on Annie and get it to turn a lot, but it will it will never like roll. Um, but it is, it's like the perfect. So I have two explorers. It's like stable, straight, and then the mockingbird is like just that tick below. Where it's like yeah. I can Heiser flip it to go straight, and it'll have a little bit of integrity or hard and flat, and it's just gonna get that little bit more turn and not fight back than my explorer. So it, it's a good kind of yeah. right, straight, left finish from the same throw. Yeah, I I am curious to add different plastics of the mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Like I'll. Do they have Charlie Mockingbirds yet? I can't remember. Yes. Oh, no. I don't think Charlie. They just have the Founders. I have a Founders. Founders, yeah. But I want to get a Founders one. See the yeah. difference. Between, the rubber because my Founders, cool. my Founders uh, curl is less stable, but everybody else says their Founders is more stable. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I like the feel of the Charlie. Hate the feel of Bravo and Lima and their glow. Uh, can't, can't, I just can't do it. Just doesn't yeah. feel good to me. But uh, I really like the feel of this Charlie Harrier. Mm-hmm. Like that Charlie plastic feels good. And the Alpha plastic, of course, feels good. So I am curious to potentially try to add the same disc in a different plastic and see if that does anything for me. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, okay. So I think, I think. We've identified two things that I want to add: the bayonet and the Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mid ranges, I feel pretty good on still. Yeah, I've got yeah. two dunes, and I'm really confident with them right now. Like I was throwing them a lot at Prickly, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then putters, I have the link, the uh, inner core, and the copperhead. Yeah, I don't have. I mean, I have zones, but I I'm trying to not bag zones because i want to just rely or not rely on other stuff especially if i have to go 100 percent uh yeah lone yeah. star yeah uh, um har- you have thoughts a harpoon you need a harpoon do i because it's it's just as i it's just too straight for what i want it to be it's it's not going to be a zone but like if there's ever just a a touchier forehand approach that you can't reach with your copper head it's more comfortable for that and i mean i don't know how stable your stable dune is but i think it would be a good kind of tick above that of stability and it kind of bridges the gap between that mid-range and approach disc. It doesn't have a wide fair, like it's it's a sh- small diameter, it's shallow, um, and it's overstable enough to like fit in between the dunes and the copperhead. Possibly. I feel like th- I get a lot of distance on the copperhead. Yeah, like I can throw, I can throw forehand the copperhead two eighty easily. Hmm. Like a two hundred eighty foot hole, I don't have any problem grabbing the copperhead and throwing it because I feel like I can. Uh, 
and the harpoon just it does feel a little bit too shallow yeah just like putting it back in the hand it's just a touch more shallow than i necessarily want it to as in mm -hmm. i feel like i have too much of my hand on the flight plate yeah not as much on the rim i don't know yeah i feel that way with I, the, I like like the baseline it's fine I but i just uh, yes also true um which i lost but i've got a glow and an alpha harpoon still yeah. and i like them i like the fly to them they're they're good but i just like the copperhead better and i felt like they did the exact same thing for me yeah they're yeah. both a zero two and one's just like more mid-range feeling and compared to the copperhead which is more putter feeling and i yeah. like throwing putters if i can yeah yeah I think you should get a, so, yeah. I, I mean, if you don't need the approach disc, I mean, you you can step up to the walker. Um, also, the midi feels really nice in the hand. It's more rounded. It feels kind of like a rock three. Um, oh, okay. Like kind of rounded edges and feels good. I don't think it has a bead. I have one, but it's... You don't, you don't have a walker, do you? No, I sold it. Okay. Yeah, I had one. Good for you. Yeah, it was overstable. Yeah, I th I threw one once and it was just like too beefy. Yeah, it it's like a a Justice's little brother, like it does pretty much with what a Justice Justice does, but like it felt different and not my favorite. So yeah, like the Justice it's so is it's such a finicky line because you want the the more that i've been like thinking about my bag and discs that fit my bag it's like you want stuff that's overstable but not beefy because when it's beefy it's just not as workable yeah but you want it to be overstable enough that it is workable on yeah. you know those like flex lines or whatever but you don't want it to be like the Mad Cat sometimes is not stable enough. Yeah, but the Chupacabra is way too stable. Yeah, I do so think like, they, I, I do think they have between a between it. I do think they have a a gap in between those two. I I they need like, a, they need a, an FD three Firebird Raptor type yeah, of disc. Yeah, the it, the Mad Cat is yeah. very close because brand new they are pretty stable, but it is not the power flex shots that you can create with it. Correct. And my, and my Mad Cats, uh, you know, they can handle a little Annie and get these nice straight flights with, you know, fade at the end of it. Yeah. But it is, I'm also at Colorado. Yeah. And I don't know what it would do at, you know, Oregon sea level or California or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that that is, I don't know, just a couple spots in my bag that I'm kind of. I don't need to fill those spots because I can make it work with what I've got right now. But yeah. as I'm coming up to states here next month, it's something I'm actively thinking about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I guess that was kind of a long winded in the bag, but right. I now have two discs that I know I'm going to get. Nice. Choice is fun. All right, that's going to do it 
for the episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And Lefties out. We'll talk to you next week after D Glow. Watch some D Glow, baby. See ya. Bye.